Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. How, how nice the atmosphere is in here today. It is. And you know what sometimes we do as preachers? We lie and say the atmosphere is really good. We say it by faith that the atmosphere is, but today it is really good. It's true, it is. Well, is everyone okay with another messy message this week? Because last week we got a little messy. This is another messy topic. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Uh, and listen, uh, progress isn't pretty. How many of us know that? In life, progress sometimes just isn't pretty. We think it's going to be pretty, and we think it's going to be you know, linear, and, and we know how things are going to go, but a lot of times I would say life hits us, and we realize, wow, I didn't think it was going to take me in that direction, but it did. How many of you want to look at a parable this morning? You came here and said, I'm hoping whomever is preaching is going to delve into a parable of Jesus, because that's what we're going to do. And how many of you, there are over, I looked, I look, there are over 70,000 different types of trees in the world. We are going to look at fig trees this morning. Anybody you like figs? You're into figs? No, 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 I'm not talking fig Newmans, Newtons, whatever those things are. Those are fake, fake additives and the gluten they put. I'm talking real figs. Do you know this is the second, the second harvest for figs is coming up right now, the end of this month into September. Aren't you glad you came to church to learn that? Where are you going to learn about figs? Right? Where are you going to learn about figs? Well, let's get rolling. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 13. I'm just going to open up in a word of prayer. You either, you know, turn your phone on. If you have a Bible, I don't know, steal the person's next to you. Whatever you need to do, you can follow along on the screens, Whatever. But we're going to look at a parable. We're only going to, it's only going to be four verses, but I think it's pretty powerful. Lord, Lord, I would just ask that you reveal to your body what you revealed to me. Father, I ask that the message you put inside me, Lord, in spite of me and all of, uh, all of my weaknesses and proclivities and all the issues and dysfunction I have in my life, Lord... I ask that you work through me in spite of all that. I thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be perfect. You are the only one that is perfect. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your truth. Above all, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, too, for Jesus. Jesus, you always gave us pictures. You gave us stories. You looked around. You, you, these object lessons that you taught people, and you're still teaching us today through them. When you walked the earth for those three years, you turned everything upside down. Why don't you turn us upside down this morning? Lord, can we really walk out and get in touch with some of the dysfunction in our lives? I pray that you would do that in our hearts. Amen. We're going to be in uh, Luke 13 again, and we're going to dig for figs. Now, if you know anything about fig trees, this title sounds a little bit weird. You don't dig for figs, right? In case you, you, does the preacher know what he's, yeah, I know what I'm talking about, but hopefully later on in the message, you understand why I titled this message, Dig for Figs. Why don't you look at the person next to you, because you haven't talked enough to the people near you, and just say, hey, we're going to dig for figs today. We're going to dig for figs. 
Yeah, just what you wanted to do. And we're going to start in Luke 13. And this is it. Four verses today. Four verses. That's it. Just four. Right? One parable that Jesus wants to teach us through. And this is what he said. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down! Why should I use it? Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Let me ask you a question starting this sermon today. Has anybody in this room, you have never been disappointed in life? You have never, ever been disappointed in your marriage, with your kids, with your health, with your job. Is anybody? Because if that's you, we should move everyone away from you. You're going to get hit by lightning. Because you're lying, right? Everyone in this room, at some point in time, you have been disappointed. Life has hit you. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know how, but I know it's happened. I know it's happened to the person next to you. It's happened to all of us. And at some point in time, we have been disappointed and we get disappointed. And you look here. Can I give us the context? Can I give us a theological framework before I make this practical for our lives? Thank you. And in this story, Jesus has been walking. He's been teaching for three years. Three years his ministry has been going on. He's, not just, he's using a story from nature. He's using an agricultural example to point to the reality of the kingdom of God. And in here, when he says this for three years, he's talking about the fact that he has been around here teaching for three years. And he looks at all of the people that have been held in bondage. He looks at the teachers of the law. He looks at the Pharisees. He looks at the Sadducees. He looks at all of these teachers and how they have levied all of these responsibilities and laws on the people. And guess what, friends? Jesus is disappointed in the religious system of his day. And here he is talking to the people, and he's using this parable to talk about his disappointment with that system. Now, for the rest of the sermon, so we're all on the same page. Three things we need to know. Three characters, in a sense. One is not, it's an inanimate object. But in this parable, number one, there is an owner of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard is disappointed. Because the owner has this vineyard and he's expecting things to grow in this vineyard. He knows the soil is good and he knows things are supposed to grow. That's number one. Number two, there is a manager of this vineyard. The manager of this vineyard is disappointing because there is a tree that the owner says, what is the deal? I've been coming here for three years and every time I walk through this vineyard, I don't see any fruit on this fig tree. And then number three, you have a fig tree, a tree that is dysfunctional. So you have an owner that is disappointed You have a manager that is disappointing, 
and you have a tree that is dysfunctional. Three things. And Jesus is trying to get the message across to all of the people. He's saying, look, I know I have sown good seed here. And the essence of disappointment is, you know when you plan something, but it doesn't produce. How many of us feel like in our lives sometimes that we know good seed has been planted in our lives or God has put something inside of us, but it's not producing through us? And we wonder and we question and we get disappointed because we didn't think it was going to work out this way. Or how come it is this way to have ideas, to have dreams that will never see the light of day? In Jesus' case, when you look at this, he's surveying the way people are treating one another and he's using this metaphor of a vineyard. And the man has a fig tree that is supposed to grow in there. But when he doesn't, the owner becomes insistent that either this fig tree right here, either it grows or it has to go. Either the tree that we planted here, either it's going to grow or we're going to cut it down and it needs to go. How many of us know there are certain dead things in our lives, things that are dying, that are taking up space inside of our vineyards, that we're allowing to stay there, and they're occupying space that could be used for things that can bring us life. And we're disappointed. Quiet in here today. And he's looking at the leadership in his day and he's saying this vineyard represents the nation of Israel. Now, why is it a fig tree? Do you know a fig tree in the Bible that represents peace and prosperity? You go all the way back. What is the first fruit tree in the Bible? You know what the first one? I'm almost done with my theological framework. Some of you are like, all right, will you get to the practical stuff? I will. Take it easy. I feel you. You look at Genesis 3. The first fruit tree is a fig tree. The man and one woman, Adam and Eve, when they, they sinned in the garden and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only one that they weren't supposed to eat from. And then what did they do? They hid from God and they covered themselves up with fig leaves. Why are you hiding? Adam, where are you? You go all the way back to the beginning of the story. When you go to Luke, look at the first verse here. Look at the first, first verse where it says, let's just look at it again. Then he told the parable and he said, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit, but he didn't find any. And it's kind of interesting as I was thinking about it and I'm writing notes on this and I'm reading commentaries and just I read it maybe a thousand times. Do you know God never picks what he didn't plant? God never picks what he didn't plant. Meaning, he planted something in the vineyard and he said, the owner, representing God, something has been planted in the vineyard. I only pick that which I plant. There are things, and why do I bring that up? I would say, because sometimes when I look around the church, there are so many people that are so busy trying to produce something that God never planted in their lives. Now I'm getting practical. There are so many people, let me say it again, 
who are trying to produce some, let's put it this way, we'll talk about fruit, we're talking about figs. I see a lot of people that are supposed to be growing figs in their lives, but they're growing pomegranates. And they're growing pomegranates in their lives, and they're wondering why. Where is the peace? Where is the strength? Where is the drive? Where is the passion? And I feel like God would say to us, you weren't meant to grow pomegranates. You were meant to grow figs. And if you would take the energy that you're supposed to use to grow the types of figs that I planted in your life, you will see the joy of the Lord. It will be your strength. You will find purpose. You will find passion. But so many of us don't find that because we're trying to produce something that is not inside of us. God doesn't reach for something he has not put in your heart. God will never reach for something he hasn't put in our heart and in our spirit. He has put things in there. He is only in this parable reaching for what is his, what I planted. Where is the fruit? Where is it? I want to see it. It's supposed to be here. It's been three years. You know, we'll be able to deal with disappointment if we stop getting mad about the fruit that didn't grow in our lives and we look at the seed that has been planted, the DNA that has been encoded inside of us and we follow that and we try to find that purpose. Hey, listen, can I be brutally honest? I've said this before to you. I stopped apologizing as a married man to my wife about the fact that I can't do much at home. I stopped apologizing. You want to know? I, t- I went down to my basement this morning. I want to show you. This is the extent of what I have in my house in terms of a tool kit box thing, whatever you want to call it. This is the extent of what I have in my house. That's it. That's all the room I have in my basement for tools. That's it. Right? How many of you are like, you have so many more tools? And I feel, you know what I do? I know they're inanimate objects, and you're going to be like, this guy's really weird telling me this. I honestly, when I go in the basement sometimes, Donna, don't, don't judge me. I feel kind of weird. You know what I feel bad about? I feel like the tools are like, how did I wind up in this guy's house because he never uses me? I have a purpose. I'm a Phillips head screwdriver. I want to be used just once in a, like every six months. Could my owner pull me out and use me? No, not in the Lecce house. Never. Dust all over it. But listen to me. I may not know how to use a miter saw, is that how you pronounce it? Rob, is it a miter saw? Miter saw? Is that right? But I can use a microphone because that's how God made me. I don't know how to use the saw, but I know how to use a microphone. I know how to communicate to people because that's what God put inside of me. This is who he made me to be. He made you with certain gifts. Stop trying to be a pomegranate when you're a fig. Stop trying. If you can't carry a tune, you shouldn't be up here singing. Come on. Do you know how many people I have met since I was a little kid in the church and they thought they could sing or they thought they could preach, whatever it was, and I would be like, "Uh, 
and I would cringe for people and I wanted them, can't you be more self-aware? Don't you know that's not what you're supposed to do? That's not your purpose. Don't do it. <laughs> we have to produce what's already been planted in our lives. And, and, and I think our job is we have to figure out what's on the inside of us. We have to stop wasting potential in areas that God is saying, I didn't call you to this purpose. I didn't call you to get involved in this. I didn't call you to waste your potential on this. I mean, I even think about people. I wrote notes because it was a book that meant a lot to me. Uh, It's called Quiet, the Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. Isn't that a great subtitle? And the book talks about one-third of the people in our country are introverts. But there are so many people that are introverts, and you're trying to become an extrovert. That's not how God made you to be. I mean, the book was so powerful because there are so many introverts. I'm an introvert. Even though I'm a speaker, and you may think he's a raging extrovert. No, 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 no. Put James on an island. Give me, am I lying? Those people that know me, give me a few books. I'm good. I'm good. Some of you, my wife, my wife is a raging extrovert. She just wants to be around people, right? And you know, you know in your relationships with your family, your spouse, whatever it is. But stop trying to do Hey, listen, you moms, God picked you to raise those children that you have in your house. He raised, he said, you're going to raise this kid. It wasn't a mistake. God said, these are the children that you are going to raise. Come on. I thought some of the women would like that, but maybe not. You know, and there are times too, there are times too, I'll get intimidated sometimes about doing all this. You may not think it. You may not think it. You may think I don't get, I get insecure, just like the, you know, the next person. And at times you get insecure. And I look at it, I'll get intimidated by things. And I'll go, at the end of the day though, I'm like, you know what, God, if you wanted somebody better, if you wanted somebody else, it was your job to do that, not my job. Or you get somebody else to do this that does it differently, or you think's going to do it better, but this is all I can do, and this is the best I can do. Right? I'm not saying that so you clap. I'm not looking for the clap right now. Come on now. But you can if you want. And then look what, look what uh, Jesus says in 13.7. He says, so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard for three years. Three years. You know why I bring that up? Because there are some people, should I not, Eileen, should I not be, should I, can I say this, you think? All right. I think there are people, though, they haven't even been in a church long enough. They haven't been in a church for three years. Just jumping around as a pastor, growing up as a pastor's kid. I meet so many people, too, along the lines of time. I'm I'm not a kid anymore. I'm 45 years old. I think I'm a kid, but I'm not. You know, you think you're younger and you're not. But, and, and I look at it and I see people, though, and it's, they just bring their issues. Wherever they're going to go, you're going to bring your issues. There you are. Your issues are going to be there. And I see people, they haven't even been able to stay in one place and stay rooted for a period of time. I know that's not y'all, but I'm talking to other people, right, that aren't in the house right now. So verse 7 asks the question too, why should it use the ground up? You ready for one of the best parts of the sermon? You ready for this? This is what God hit me with as I read this because I'm looking at this going, all right, it hit me. In a vineyard, how many trees do you think were in the vineyard? Is this the only tree that's in the vineyard? No, 
right? There were other trees. I don't know how many times I read it, for it took my thick brain to figure it out. If this is a vineyard, there were multiple trees in the vineyard, and they were in the same soil, they were getting the same sunlight, the same nutrients, but how come the trees on the other side of the vineyard were able to grow, and how come this one tree couldn't grow? Does that make sense? A lot of times, we use our environment as an excuse. I would grow more, but it's because of my upbringing. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I went through with my parents. You don't know what it was like. We blame our demographics. We blame our gender. We blame our education. And I want to say to us, there are people that have far less than we have. There are people that have become doctors, lawyers. But you go on down the list, people that have succeeded in life and they had nothing or they had to overcome trials. You want a testimony? You have to go through a test. Can I just go around and put some people on the spot? Listen, my uncle, Ted Patron, how old were you when you lost my grandfather, whom I never met? How old was he? You were 14 years old. 14. Became the CEO of a company. Did anybody hand you that? No, nobody handed you that. You had to work for it. Mr. Canis, former CEO of a company, I know his story. And I love it when people ask me, did he just grow up like that? Well, he's, no, he wasn't, he wasn't just given the keys to North Fork Bank. He was a teller at North Fork, North Fork Bank. He wanted to go to law school. He had no idea that God would take him from being a teller all the way up to being the CEO. And he went through a lot of difficult stuff. Don't judge somebody's fruit. You look at somebody and say, man, it must have been real easy. No, no, no. I'm telling you two people it wasn't easy for. It was hard. It was difficult. We always blame our environment. We're always looking to blame people. Right? Come on. Where is he? Can I do one? Where is he? Michael, where are you? I saw you and I felt like, where is Mike Dolson? No, no, no. Mike, there's a lot of Mikes in the house. Michael, a lot of you don't know, Michael. You don't know this. People don't know the soil where you were raised, the soil in which you were raised. You had a tough life. Gina, am I lying? Did he have a tough life? He hasn't had it easy. He just lost his uncle who was like a dad to him. And I look at this man who is now in church and God has turned your world upside down, brother. And I look at the fact that you say, maybe you weren't raised the way I was raised, but you're using the fact that you weren't raised the way you wanted to. And you're saying to yourself, I'm going to be the dad maybe that I didn't have. I'm going to be the parent that I didn't have. I'm done talking about what I don't have. How about talking about what I do have? How about looking at what you have left? Stop looking at what you don't have. The lack. How about looking at what you have? Plenty. Plenty. The woman with Elisha, right, with the oil. What do you have in your house, woman? I want to preach on that right now. I can't, though. (laughs) Can't do it, but I want to. Maybe I'll do that soon. But Mike, I'm with you, man. We're with you as a church. We're praying for you. But I appreciate you. And I see and I I know your story. And God is using you, brother. God's using you. But don't excuse your growth 
by blaming your environment, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, it's a great story. How many of you want it? You ready for a story? I love that. You love the power of story. Story. There was a uh, young man who grew up in uh, Germany. He was, uh, he was Jewish, Jewish family. And he adored his father. John, I'm talking, man, this guy, his father was his world. And his dad said, you know what? Devotion, piety to our religion, whatever is prescribed for our religion, that's what we're going to do. So they always went to the synagogue. They always worshiped. They did everything they devout Jews, everything they were supposed to do. The day came, though, when he was a young teenager. And his dad said, you know what, son? We're going to move. Told the whole family, we're going to pick up and move. We're going to another town in Germany. Family picked up and they left. When they got to the new town, guess what? There were no synagogues in the new town. Nowhere for the family to worship. And then here it is, the pivotal moment in this teenager's life. The soil again, going back to the soil. The soil that we all have, all of us, our background, where we came from. And the dad said, we're no longer going to be Jewish. We're going to go to the Lutheran church. Here was a young boy, teenager, who was disillusioned, beyond disappointed. Dad, why are we going to go to a Lutheran church? And the dad answered the boy and said, we're going to go to a Lutheran church because those are the powerful people in the town, son. And it's a good business move for us. That young man at that day got turned off to religion for the rest of his life. Biographers would talk about the anger that seeped in, the bitterness that seeped in, that would permeate and plague the rest of his existence as a human being. He got a little bit older, and he said, I'm going to go to England. I'm leaving Germany. And he said, I'm going to go to England, and I'm going to go study there. He wrote a book. He studied, spent a lot of time, and he looked at a lot of different things. And he looked at different economic and social and political philosophies. And eventually, he described religion, and some of you will know who he is just by me saying this. He described religion as the opiate for the masses, and in his words, he said he could totally explain everything about religion in terms of economics and personal gain. Today, millions of people follow this around the world. Millions of people have been adversely affected by this system and thought and belief, and the young man was none other than Karl Marx. Karl Marx, whose ideology became the basis for communism. Marxism became the basis, the ideology. I bring that up because I'm going around the room. We all have had opportunities given the soil that we are in and the disappointment we have choices to make. Which way are we going to go when disappointment in life hits us? Which way are we going to go? That's powerful. When you grab that and digest that, but not only go, wow, that's good, but take it and apply it to our lives because it's applicable, I think it becomes powerful. I never knew that story before I read it in a book. Did anybody know that story? I never knew that story. No? Okay. Then it goes on. Look at, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. He says, give it another chance. You know who the enemy can easily defeat? Those people that are not persistent. Those people that give up 
too quickly the enemy says, I can defeat that person. I can defeat them. He can defeat anybody that gives up. Here is the manager of the vineyard. Just one more chance. Can I give you one more story? How many of you know Bill Murray? Bill Murray is one of my favorite actors in, in Hollywood. Well, did you know the story came out? Yeah, the story came out. I, I read it in an article and thought it was fascinating, filed it away. Um, he claimed it last year that a work of art once saved his life. And here's the background of the story. He says he was in Chicago for his first experience as an actor. It's hard to believe when you see, I mean, like Groundhog Day, what about Bob? I mean, you think this guy, like it was easy for him, right? Just enter acting and ah, I got jobs everywhere and everything's lined up. No, 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 no. So he says he's in Chicago for his first experience as an actor. These are his words. My performance was so bad, I just walked out afterward and onto the street. I kept walking for a couple of hours. Then I realized that I walked in the wrong direction and not in just the wrong direction from where I lived, but in the wrong desire to stay alive. Wow. He continued, if I'm going to die, I might as well go over to the lake and float a bit. He was right near Lake Michigan. I walked toward the lake and reached Michigan Avenue and started walking north. Somehow, I ended up in front of the Art Institute and walked inside. There was a painting of a simple peasant woman, the picture you have before you, working in a field with a sunrise behind her. The name of the piece of work, it's a, it's a 19th century French piece, it's called Song of a Lark. And he said, I always loved that painting. I saw it that night and said to myself, look, there's a girl without a whole lot of prospects, but the sun's coming up and she's got another chance at it. I'm, here's the best part, I'm a person too. And I know God is going to give me another chance after gazing at the painting Bill Murray decided to live because he knew that God was on the throne. He was raised a Catholic. I, know, I have no idea about his religious affiliation today, but I do know here was a guy that said, I have another chance, and I'm here to tell you this morning, there's somebody in here, and the enemy has been telling you that you're out of chances, that you're out of luck, that the game is over. I'm here to tell you it's not the case that you still have another chance. You have multiple chances because your God is good. There are more chances. Love that story. Don't you love people that are defiant? Don't you love people that say, you know what? I'm just going to keep going. So what does he do then? What does he do? What is, what, what is, in this parable... We see here again in 8, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and then I'll dung it. I'm giving you old King James. You know what the these and the thous? This is the old King James version of that. So I'm not, don't look at, this is what the, this is how they translated it. And what's wild to me is this man is not supposed to leave it alone. He's supposed to work his vineyard. Work it. You know what our problem is? We just leave things alone. We think if we leave them alone, it'll be all right. How many of you have a garden at home? You have a garden. All right. Now, if you have a garden at home, we were at a friend's house yesterday. Biggest, they could open a farm stand, babe. Those people. If you have a garden, what happens if you don't do anything to it? Dies. Weeds grow. Weeds 
You don't want the weeds, but they're going to grow. And I think a lot of times, this is what happens in our lives. And instead of dealing with disappointment, you know what we do? We deny disappointment. Instead of dealing with disappointment, we deny it. We act as if disappointment is really not there. And we, in essence, we keep our head in the sand. I love what this guy does here, what Jesus is saying about the man in the parable. He doesn't deny the disappointment. He doesn't excuse the disappointment. He says, I have a couple of things that I want to do. And here it is. First one, I'd say this is the most important part because the spirit of Pastor Linda Lecce is about to come on me. Okay, because this is the stuff she lives for. As I'm looking at this, I'm trying to look at it through the lens of Pastor Linda. Okay, and this is what I see. It's not enough to just look at the external fruit that was growing on the leaves. You have to go beneath the surface. Oh, where the fruit was growing is not where the problem was. The problem was underneath the grounds in the root system. And the problem with Western Christianity is we're up here trying to fix our problems, the external problems, and God says you can't fix these problems with, the ex- with an external method. You have to go beneath the soil and dig around it and get to the root of the problem. You got to get to the root. It's a root issue. I've been dealing, you know how many times I've been dealing with disappointments and things that are up here and God is saying, you can try to fix that, but that's not where the problem really is. You have to go deeper. Now you know why the title of the message is Dig for Fix. You got to dig, dig. How many times I've met people that have walked with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years and they wonder why their lives aren't changed, it's because they're trying to fix stuff up here at the level of the leaves. And I would say to us, church, why there has been such a, uh, why people have been so enthusiastic to come to something like Changes That Heal is because you're not dealing with the external roots and so much of religion sells the fact this is how you change. Follow the rules, be a good person. No, 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 change is transformation happens from the inside out. You have to get to the root of the problem. You have anger issues, bitterness issues, uh, offenses, all this stuff. Stop handling it from the leaves. Get to the root of the problem. That's what changes that heal is. That's what that is. There's a connection in in our manifestation of things. You know, I think sometimes we think we're so, and my therapist is helping me see this. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, my therapist, I actually go sit with someone that is a Christian. You're never going to find out who it is, so don't ask me. But I feel it's of the utmost importance that I deal with my issues just like you have to deal with your issues. And it's so interesting because a lot of times I'll look at things and I'll go, the problem is my wife. The problem isn't my wife. When I'm waving at the leaves, that is my external way. When I have an issue, I can't look in the mirror sometimes and stand up to myself. So I'll say the problem is her, but she's not the problem. I'm the problem. And you do the same thing if you're married. You do it with your spouses too. Don't make me feel naked up here like I'm all by myself. You do. We all do it. We all do it. 
You think it's your job? You think you're so disappointed? It's your job. I'm just so disappointed in my job. No, no, it's not your job. Your job is the external part. That's the leaves. It's your inability to be able to prioritize things in your life. That is the root of the problem. And until you get to the root of the fact that you can't prioritize things in your life, things aren't going to change. Oh, I'm preaching. I am preaching today. I'm telling myself to preach it. Internally, there's an internal monologue. I'm telling myself to just keep going. But we need to listen. We need to stop. I'm sick of people blaming situations. I'm sick of people blaming us as pastors. Don't blame me. I'm not your problem. Look in the mirror at yourself. We're not the problem. You're the problem. Okay? The politicians, stop blaming everything on the president of the United States. If I hear one more person, Trump may, listen, listen, he is our president and he may put out crazy stuff and tweets. I'm not telling you I'm a Republican or a Democrat, a supporter, who cares about that? But all I'm saying, stop blaming the president for your problems. Stop blaming politicians for your problems. Stop blaming your background again for your problems. Stop blaming your kids for all your problems. Stop blaming your boss for all your problems. Start looking in the mirror. Start taking responsibility for your own life. How's that for a pastoral word? Done. Don't blame us. Stop blaming everybody else. Well, at my last church, this is what they did, and they did this to me. If I hear that one more time, I want to slap somebody. It's true. The root of my disappointment and your disappointment, guess what it is? It's our own dysfunction. It's our own dysfunction. I looked at her. Listen, can I give you a little insight too? I have series lined up, okay? I want, I've never done this before. I'm doing a series in the fall at some point on relationships and marriage, okay? I'm giving my perspective. I'm, this isn't like, this is my generation. I'm giving my perspective. I don't have all the answers. And some of you are going, how long have you been married, boy? Yeah, I've been married 14 years. I've been a lot. You know, like, I'm old, you're older, and yeah, you have all the answers, and whatever. I mean, I don't know. I'm doing a series on that. I'm doing it my way. But we live in a culture. Listen to me. We live in a culture. People got up. I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm stealing its thunder because we live in a culture. People got up at 6 in the morning to watch the royal wedding. The royal wedding. How about having a royal marriage? How about spending time on the marriage? Said again, up for the way. Hey, listen, that's all good. What's his name? Harry? What's that dude's name? She's looking, my wife is giving the eyes like, you really should know that. If you're going to bring, you should know his name. I don't follow a baby as much as you do. I love you though. That's all good. No, listen, if you did that, that's great, right? I, I, we're not laughing at you. We're laughing around you. But really, that's fine if you did that. That's fine. But I'm getting, what, why, why did I bring that up? Because listen, because I'm getting to the point of my own dysfunction. When we were talking to someone that, that helps us, because we can go through life. How many of us know marriages? We were with a couple last night, and they were talking about somebody else that we, we know, and, and they're getting divorced, and they, they have a lot of money and whatever, and, and more money, more problems. And I'm looking at it, though, and I'm looking at our own lives. And I sat with our therapist, and we were just talking, and uh, I, I said, you know what? I, I got a little emotional, because I said, you know what? I keep score a lot with my wife. My own dysfunction. 
I did this with the kids and you did this and I'm always adding things up and I don't want to do that. And the way I talk, and she stopped me. Did you hear the way you said that? Do you know how your wife is feeling at any given moment? They're, 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 they're going on. I was like, it was, I was getting hit left and right. Boom, boom. I was like pressed into the couch. I thought the couch was going to fall over. But you know what? I needed it because I have a lot of dysfunction. And so do you. And I'm afraid that so many people just don't get it. You don't go to hill houses. You don't really, as Pastor Linda talked about before, we don't really deal with the root issues. We just kind of live up here at the level of the leaves. And we wonder why. Where is all the, where's the fruit? I don't, where is the fruit? I don't see it. And we're blaming situations. We're blaming other people. Instead of looking at the dysfunction in our own lives and looking at things like changes that heal. I need that stuff. I need it bad. I'm a pastor's kid. You're supposed to laugh at that and have sympathy for me. And I think, too, stop, stop looking at other people. Stop looking at other people's figs. You have no idea the root work that went into developing that. You have no idea. I used to watch people when I first started speaking. And it was easy. I'd analyze things and look at things. And the longer I'm doing this, who the heck am I to judge anybody? And I have no idea what it was like for them with the, to develop that root system in their lives. Stop looking at other people and evaluating and judging their fruit and their figs and why aren't my figs as nice and plump as their figs? I want to do what they do. Stop it. Stop it. Let's deal with our own figs. And then here it is. I brought it out. I mean, here it is. Look what the text says. If we want to deal, I'm almost done. Worship team, I got five. You have five more minutes for me? Because I'm not asking. I'm kind of telling you what I'm doing. So Jesus says, and he's answered unto them saying, Lord, let it alone this year also until I shall I dig about it and dung it, right? There's that part. And dung it. We have to dig around the disappointment And you know how we move past the disappointment? We have to get a dump truck of more disappointment and dump it on that area because as we dump it, fill it, dung it, right? Dig it and dung it. As we take disappointment and we pour it on, that's when God can work in our lives, not denying disappointment. It's not saying disappointment is going to come our way. But this is what it is. It's dealing with disappointment and and failure. Can I say it again? I said it last week and it didn't hit the room like I thought it would. Failure is fertilizer. The failure in your life is fertilizer. Now let me spend a minute or two on that. Do you ever smell fertilizer? When I don't do this. Somebody does it for our lawn because I don't know how to do it. But if you're out there and you're fertilizer, does it smell good? It stinks and it's messy and the seed goes everywhere when you fertilize. It can be messy. But oh, what happens to the compost? God says, whatever messy thing, I'd like to say something else, but I'm in church. Whatever messy thing, not a curse, whatever messy thing comes your way this week, I'm asking that we look at it not as something that's going to kill us, but as fertilizer that God says, I'm going to use this to fertilize your life. (laughs) Fertilizer, church.
to take it and to pour it on. Why don't we have classes in school about failure? I wish I had a principal in the, are there any principals in the house here? <laughs> Jamal, you killed it the other week when you talked about the principal. You're a principal now too, so you're part of this. <laughs> why don't we have classes, Mr. Schuster, on, why don't we have classes about disappointment and failure? Why don't we have classes about failure? We have classes for things like algebra and chemistry and a lot of stuff as you get older in life, you don't need. Why don't we have classes? I want to teach a class where I teach. Hey, y'all, why don't you take my class? My class is how to learn and fail in life, how to be disappointed and how to deal with it and how to understand it's fertilizer for your life. Why not? Yo, Tommy Edison pops in my head. And Thomas Edison, his assistant, he's trying to invent the incandescent light bulb. 10,000 tries. And he's his assistant is despondent. Music team, come on, you're gonna, we're going to sing a song in a second. And, and, and he's the assistant is despondent. Mr. Edison, aren't we kind of done with this? And he said, no, no, we didn't figure, we didn't fail 10,000 times. We figured out 10,000 ways that it doesn't work, but we're still going to find out how to do it. Yo, Walt Disney. Yo, Walt Disney. Walt Disney. What did, what did they say about him? He lacked creativity and imagination. Really? Why didn't he just believe that? He should have believed that, you know? That guy should have believed he wasn't creative. We never have Disney World. The lady that did, hey, listen, I, I don't, but my kids won't read Harry Potter and all those books, but J.K. Rowling, did you know she was, she was rejected by 12 publishing companies? 12. A little small publishing firm. What would have happened if she saw failure as being final? Failure is not final, it's fertilizer. How about Henry Ford? Did you know Henry Ford went bankrupt twice before he started? Ford Motor Company? How come we hear all these stories and we know all these names and we just think everything was so easy for them? Disappointment. And can I throw one thing in too? We look at other people and we have expect. My wife has helped me so much on this with expectations of other people. How many of us have expectations of other people and we know or we expect things that if they don't deliver, we get so upset. We get so upset. Expectation is the crime. It's the crime and the punishment. You know what it is? Disappointment. We just expect, other, we expect things from people. And the way they, they don't deliver, it doesn't happen. Come on. As we close here, I think about another tree. I think about a cross. And resurrection was dressed in death. Resurrection was dressed in death. Yeah, it's a cross, but guess what? It's also a tree. And out of the pain and out of death came life and came glory. So you look at your situations. God says, listen, it's death, burial, and resurrection. You want to be resurrected? There are certain things that have to die, dung, dig, and dung. There are things that we have to dig out in our lives and work on. Stop, finally, stop working at the level of the leaves. I want you to say that to people this week because I think it's powerful. Stop.
I'm focusing on it all week and I'm going, I'm, I got to stop working at the level of the leaves. I got to look at my dysfunction and get to the root of why I'm doing these things. Why am I behaving that way? Why did I say that? Why did I treat my wife that way? Why is there no patience here? Why, why, why? How about we do some real root work, church? Some real root work. Steve, let's go. Fire away. Why don't we stand, church? Let's stand. God can, God can take your disappointments and he can do such wonderful things. Don't deny them. Don't put your head in the sand. Embrace them. Know what they are. They're tests too. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.